Welcome to the Art Podcast. Our show features conversations with Canadian recording artists. In each episode, our host, Tressa Levasseur, explores how background, influences, and personal journey shape the creative process. Every show features two original songs by the guest artist, so stick around to hear some great music. Today's episode features 2021 Juno nominee Dion Taylor from her home in Toronto, Ontario. Dion, welcome. I'm very excited to have this conversation with you today. Are you ready to dive in? I'm ready. Yeah, let's go. First question, always the same question. What is your earliest memory of music? Earliest memory, very easy. Um, I was four years old and uh, I began taking um, organ lessons in Regina, Saskatchewan. And I remember I was so tiny that uh, they had to put like a little booster seat on the uh, organ seat <laughs> so that I could reach the keys. Oh. Yeah. But I just like, I remember, you know, being at church and uh, just always hanging out by the organist and like hanging out at her feet and looking at her, her hands and just being fascinated by the sounds and the movements. So that's, those are two very early um, music memories of mine. Tell me about this woman whose feet you sat at. What was her name? Who was she? Her name was um, Elizabeth Morgan, and uh, she was the organist at my family's church in Regina. Elizabeth Morgan played the organ. Yep. Over in Regina. It's just a song starting already. <laughs> um, yes. So, like, I'm imagining that the presence of music in your life was connected to your church community. Absolutely. And maybe even anchored there. But do you think that that influenced the music that you may? I think it does now. And that's definitely a conscious choice. Um, in the past, I kind of was a little bit um, embarrassed, I guess, or a little bit um, ashamed of my church background because um, I don't know. I think it's just a personal thing. And then one day, you know, like I really began to embrace my past and, you know, my family and, and the way that I was raised and, and it really did shape who I am and it shapes who I am today. And so um, making my Prairie Blues music is definitely influenced by the church music that I listened to growing up. So it's very spirited. It's very honest. Um, and I like to write my gospel songs uh, because the word gospel means truth. So uh, the songs that I write are definitely part of my truth. That's really interesting. Like, I think I'm curious about, you know, when we say the question as it's phrased on my script here is what is, what was the role or presence of music in your family? But I'm curious because you have said like one of the influences that it had on you was for you to take off on a journey away from it. And I want to know more about that journey. How did you set your compass? What was the map you used in that initial part of the journey that turned out to be a, a circle that brings you back into a new relationship with your roots? But where'd you go? How'd you decide where to go in this big, wide musical world? That's such a great question. I, I really uh, took a journey through jazz and uh, classical music. So um, I studied classical music uh, uh, classical piano, uh, classical voice uh, at the Royal Conservatory. And so I really dived into that world and, you know, just discovered so many incredible and, and beautiful music. But 
you know, like I realized that there's nowhere to really study gospel music. So, you know, I knew that I wanted to study music and, you know, classical and jazz are the two beautiful um, genres that I really embrace and that I really um, loved, love, I, I should say still love. And so that's really what I did. I just, I just delved into that and, and studied it and learned it and performed it and did all those things. But even during those times, it always felt like there was something missing. Like I felt like I was just copying, I guess, uh, you know, the great jazz artists like Sarah Vaughan, the great classical musicians and, and uh, writers like Mozart and all that. But it, it, it's always felt like something was missing, like a part of me was missing. And so when I began to start writing music, my voice started coming out through gospel music. And I knew that if I was going to write um, authentic music, that I had to embrace my past and embrace gospel and embrace um, all of those beautiful sounds and voices that I heard um, in the church and at home. And so that's really how that happened. How did it feel to come to that realization? It was really scary. <laughs> It was scary because, you know, like as artists, like we're, we're always subconscious, uh, self-conscious of what other people think. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, like I didn't want people to judge me for, for, you know, having this weird Christian background. <laughs> I mean, you know about that, right? About the, um, I'm a fellow PK, fellow PK over here. <laughs> Thank you. You know, you know, the weirdness that we have to go through going to church like five, five days a week you know, like retreats for five days, you know, not being able to eat, like, like it's, it's, there's some weird stuff. So, you know, trying to tell people about that or, or trying to explain the spiritual aspect, you know, like when, when the spirit, when the spirit moves you and, and what that feels like and how real that is and trying to explain that to, to someone who's never experienced it, it's, it can get a little weird. And so it, I, I really hesitated um, going down that road, but you know, like I'm, I'm a spiritual person. I always have been. And I just knew that I wanted to make a difference and to leave my own mark in this world. Embracing my past was part of it. So writing gospel music, writing my gospel, as I said, the Prairie Blues is, is my way of doing that. When did you start studying classical? Were you a kid or were you like? Yeah, I started studying classical piano when I was 10. And I started um, studying classical voice when I was 12. I did not last long in classical voice lessons. Oh, no. Well, for me, it was way too close to uh, like the church that I went to. So my dad was a Catholic priest okay. before he left the priesthood and married my mom. And it's a long story, but yeah. that's all like classical forms, plagal cadences, like all of those. I was the alto. My mom ran the choir. Oh, so nice. I could sing all the alto parts. Um, but I found classical voice to be the thing that I wanted to run from. Oh, interesting. As opposed to like a reaction to, I was reacting to it. I took also organ. I was 10 when I started, my feet could reach, hated it, hated it, hated it. But I had no context for understanding how the organ had become like a popular instrument in other ways. I just didn't have any. Um, okay, enough about moi. Let us return to you. Because we could just probably relate this whole time. We, to we totally could, right? What was the playlist of your childhood? Was it exclusively sacred music? 
Or did you have like secret loves of music that you heard on your own that you, or like a tape or like what? I want to know what is the playlist of Dion Taylor's childhood? Um, in my house, my dad is, is a uh, Christian, um, sorry, a, a bishop now. He was a pastor before he's now at the top. So he's a bishop. So in our house, there's no secular music whatsoever. So I grew up listening to gospels, uh, Christian music, like uh, Jimmy Swaggart, everyone's favorite organist and singer. Um, Andre Crouch, you know, Amy Grant, that sort of thing. I would only hear songs like on the radio, like if my parents, like my, my dad used to listen to CBC a lot. So, you know, like whatever songs that they would play in between the talk stuff, that's when I would hear other music or if I was at someone else's house or something, but I really didn't have much exposure to um, secular music until I was maybe 10 or 11. Uh And, um, you know, like hanging out with my friends at school. And, you know, at that time I'm dating myself here, but George Michael was really big. So I was, (laughs) I was, I had such a crush on him. Who didn't? Those jeans. Oh, oh that voice. That voice. Those. That smile. Yeah. So um, I borrowed uh, the cassette tape, the Faith one, from one of my friends, and I had a Walkman. Yes, you did. And I listened to that <laughs> under the sheets with my little headphones, just in case my parents came in the room. Sure. Or like strutting down the street, like, and you're like, I feel so powerful. Oh, so good. I just love that guitar sound. I'd never heard anything like that. It was just amazing. So yeah, that's, that was really the soundtrack of my life. Well, that's really interesting because you got George Michael on the one hand, who arguably is also quite influenced by gospel music. Absolutely. But then the other escape valve for you is classical music. My personal jail, your escape valve. You're like, great. I got the classical. Here I go. It's something new, something different. Um, Where did you study? Where'd you go to school? Um, I went to um, the University of Regina and I went to Humber College. And I also went to the Regina School of Music. So I had a lot of, of, of training and studying with, uh, with different styles of music. So let's, let's press a little bit. Speaking of your cassette player, Walkman, we're just going to press fast forward a bit. Yes. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to fast forward through the training that you did in genres that are already very well set with a repertoire that's deep and wide. And I want to fast forward to performing your original songs did you start writing in the jazz genre I did so I I only began writing original music when I was uh, studying at Humber College and so because I was studying jazz I was writing in that style it really was more just for school and for work like uh, the songs that I was writing it wasn't really about an expression thing so that was like the beginnings of writing And then I started to branch out. And as I said, you know, embrace my past, embrace um, all aspects of of my life. And then I started, you know, like, actually, I should say I've always been a writer, like as far as um, journals and diaries, like I have several journals going at one time, I have a closet full of journals and writings and poet poetry and short stories and screenplays and all this kind of stuff. So I'm always writing words, but musically, I always have melodies in my head, but I never really wrote them down. So 
it took a little bit of time for me to really embrace the whole writing thing and writing originals and also being open to sharing it with other people because you know as artists we are very very self-conscious as I said and and there's a certain um expectation that we put on ourselves when we put music out in the world like we think okay yeah everyone's gonna love this and not everyone loves it and you're gonna get some good feedback but you're also gonna get some terrible stuff and you have to be okay with that and so really being okay with that and putting music out was really easy. It sounds like you sort of walked into the the water there with, you didn't like dive off the cliff. No, I was not. I was kind of walking on the edge, really. I dip a toe in. So what helped you from toes at the edge to doing the front crawl? Like, cause you're, you're in the midst of doing the front crawl. What, what was it that allowed you to, was it there a particular person or a particular like moment was it when your first album came out when was that time or is it still in process I think it's still in process but I I always kind of um use this as a template you know like I always say okay what kind of music do I want to hear and what kind of music do I um feel within my soul and that's the type of music that I put out so you know, for a long time, I, I was just kind of like, I, I don't like any music out there right now. Like, I don't hear anything that that sounds like the music that's in my head. And so that really was the impetus to writing my own music. And if you listen to my music, like, there really is not a lot, like, I can't really think of anyone else who writes the type of music that I do. Maybe the same instrumentation, but it's very unique in that it's my experience and my experience is my own. So my music is really, really authentic in that sense. Is authenticity what you're looking for? Absolutely. Yeah. Authenticity is number one for me as an artist. It is number one for me as a person. Um, it's really important to me to be authentic and to be true to myself and my music. And so what's the litmus test for that with you when you're writing or put or putting together a track recording, how do you measure the, the butterflies? Yeah. If I get butterflies or I get like the little, the tinglies, or if I get, you know, teary and, and, and like, you know, that overflowing bubbling feeling, I know that I'm on the right path. So you're talking about it's embodied. Like you're, you're like, my body tells me. My body is, yeah, I listen to my body in every aspect of my art. It tells me if, if it's good, if it's not good, um, if it's the right decision, if it's not the right decision, like I, I trust myself 1000%. That just gave me like a little, like, you know, when you get the, like, you're, you're not going to cry, but you're like, oh, I could cry. Authentic moments. With Dion Taylor. There's so much fakeness in the world and there's so much like copycats. I, I, I don't know if there's another word for that, but you know, people just copying and pasting sounds and looks and this and that. And it'd be so easy to write like this person or that person or this person and look like this person, that person. But you know, like what's the fun in that? If it's already been done and it's already been seen, then why the hell are you doing it? That's only my opinion. Well, yeah, what I, <laughs> it's interesting because when you say that like that, it's, it could, it'd be so easy to just copy. Yeah. I hear a little bell go off in my head where I'm like, oh, this is a person who stepped away from the legacy of the musical tradition. She was literally raised and steeped in, in order to not be 
copying the thing that she knew so well. You had to go so far to come back and still you're not all the way back. I'm not all the way back. Because the journey changes you. Yes. When the prodigal son came back, he wasn't the same guy. Exactly. Exactly. But he came back. He did. Yeah. I don't feel like the prodigal son though. I feel like the one who got stuck behind and I always feel like shortchanged by that story, to be honest. Why? How so? Well, what about the guy who stayed? Like did the dishes, took his mom to the dentist. Like what about him? Loyalty gets you nowhere. That's the, that's the moral of the story. Do your own thing because no one cares if you're doing the right thing. Well, because murdering yourself to something that doesn't feel like you and not actually finding what you are. Yeah. Who likes that? Who wants to be around that guy? Not this guy. So this authentic thing, who, who is the pinnacle for you? When you, when you look at other artists beyond yourself, artists who inspire you, not that you're deriving or are being derivative, but is there an artist or two or someone that comes to mind that hasn't let you down? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say Aretha Franklin is, is the one for me. And she always has been because, again, the authenticity thing. Um, I don't know if you know, like she had several albums before she made the hit. Amazing Grace is an album that is like my desert. It's a desert island album. It's so beautiful. But you know, like she, as great as she is and was, it took so long for her to find, or I should say for them to find her. She always was the same. Her voice hasn't changed, right? It took them, it took the world forever to figure out, oh man, this person is really amazing. This person is it. So I always look to her and her life as an example because she always stayed true to herself. She always stayed true to her sound. And she (laughs) gave so much sass to anyone who didn't respect her. And, you know, like I just, I, I, I love her so much. I love her story. Um, I love that she went through so much hardship and, and, you know, like losing her mom at such a young age and, and, you know, just having such a rough life, even in spite of all that, she sang her butt off and she was always authentic and beautiful. So she is the top for me. It's interesting to think about like her life and how difficult it was and how often, how often people, react to that type of grief and pain by shutting down. Oh man. Yes. For me, she so wide open all the time, just like receiving and transmitting in this like embodied way. That's it. That is, it's absolutely undeniable. I can imagine if, if I lost my mom, you know, at such a young age, I, I would be crushed. And, you know, like a lot of people don't ever get over that. And, and, you know, like they kind of live this crazy life of solitude, but she did the complete opposite and she thrived and survived and just became this incredible being. So I, I like, I admire her strength and her resilience so much, not just as an artist, but as a person. Did you ever see her play live? I did. Of course. I saw her twice. First time I saw her, I bawled my eyes out. <laughs> She opened her mouth and I went, oh my God, it was so beautiful. Yeah. 
Okay. So that's interesting to me, like this connection that you have with this person and seeing her play and how it, it opened up something in you, this like feedback loop of, of emotion. So, but your work is in the space that she occupied in that story where you're the audience and she's the performer actually in your life's work is you're the performer and there's people out there and you're opening a feedback loop with them. Who are those people? Who, who are those people in your life? Who are they to you? I would say definitely other students. Like I have some students who um, I like to impart whatever little knowledge that I know. But really, as a teacher, I want to bring out the best in my students. I want them to be the, their most authentic selves And I want them to understand how to be brave. I mean, it really takes a lot of courage to write your own music and and put it out there into the world. And it's not a thing that everyone can do. So those of us who do it, it's really great. Um, I would say also definitely the black community, you know, like just embracing them and, and being, I guess, an alternative to what is the norm? I don't know if that makes sense. I'm um, just showing that there's different types of blackness, if that makes sense. Um, it doesn't just have to be one thing. It, it, it can be a whole rainbow of other things. I don't know. It, 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 am I answering your question correctly? No, you're answering it in a way that I didn't expect. And I, I full admission, it was a weirdly phrased question. <laughs> and it could have gone like... in a lot of different ways. I was imagining you talking about your audience. Oh, but what you're okay. actually talking about is something different, which is like a relationship with almost like like a community family, like 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 a partnership between you and people who relate to you as in your role as a leadership, in your role as like a conduit for some kind of guidance or the compass for you as a compass. That's what you answered. Who are you the compass for? And I love that because we're back to this map metaphor. Here we are. (laughs) Um, Do you ever do work with, with like, let's say you're on the road and you go to, I don't know, a performing arts center in uh, Northern BC. Do you ever do community work in that context? Like, would you do a workshop or would you connect in your role as teacher or mentor guide? What does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love, you know, being able to meet the audience and, and having conversations with people and finding that connection and also, you know, kind of closing the gap between the artist and the audience. Right. Um, I know a lot of people just look at the stage and they think, oh, my goodness, there's this amazing entity. But, you know, just kind of bringing it back to earth and just showing that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a person, too, just like you. And we have uh, similar shared experiences. And I like to do that and, and talk about that in workshops and also um, letting people know that um, songwriting is not just for a select few, like anyone can songwrite as long as you are open to the universe and you're open to um, sharing your experience, you can write songs and and you can be so amazing at it. And it's not even about 
you know, being popular or anything. It's really just about expressing yourself and, and sharing space with other people. Yes. Who's your ideal group of people that are in such a workshop? Like say you get hired by uh, Truro, Nova Scotia's performing arts center. And they're like, and we want you to do a two hour songwriting thing. Who do you want us to put in the room? Who do you want them to put in the room? I would like to have a, another piano player. I'd like to have a drummer. So you'd like to do it in a, in a group, like group yes. songwriting. Oh, cool. Yes. Like in that aspect, I, I wouldn't necessarily name specific artists, but I would have instrumentation, right. you know, right. certain instruments there. I think the question that I was asking, again, I'm like asking these, these yeah, you're, very I, vague you're questions. You're it out and I'm like, I'm hitting it. But no, really. I like it. But who, who would you like to give a songwriting workshop for? Who would the participants of this workshop be? Would they- I would open it up to kids. Uh-huh. I would open it up to teenagers. I would open it up to adults. I, I wouldn't put like an age limit on anyone, it any anyone, group, anything, any- anyone, <laughs> anyone can sing and anyone can write. All are welcome. I actually love anyone can sing as a workshop title, to be honest with you. I I'm love like, that. Oh, wow. That, that actually really works because a lot of people have a lot of fear around it. They do. And it probably stems from, you know, like a bad comment um, when they were like a kid or something. Maybe someone said, oh, you shouldn't do that. And then they internalize it and it becomes this thing. But really, we all have a voice. Therefore, we can all sing. So that's kind of my philosophy. Yeah, it's interesting. Your your journey was around getting confident with the writing piece. The singing was there for you already. I know, isn't that right? strange? And I just had, I spoke with another artist and it was the opposite for them. Wow. The songwriting was no props. It was the singing, which they're still building their confidence with. That's crazy. It's crazy. Fascinating, right? Yeah. I mean, it's all our, <clears throat> sorry, it's all our, based on our experiences, right? Yeah. In our formative years, like, I know for me, like as a kid, I, I didn't feel like I had a voice, even though I was singing, like you're kind of taught to be seen and not heard. And so, and especially as, as a girl, like you just, you really don't have much power. And so I didn't really feel like I had a voice or that my voice mattered. And even though I was studying and I was singing and I was doing all these things, it just didn't feel like a safe place for me. And so when I really embraced, you know, singing and and I really started to hear my voice and hear the power that I have within me, I, I knew that I had to share it with the world. So do you have a favorite memory of a fan moment, like an interaction with a fan or an interaction with an audience or a, a moment of sharing it with the world that we really gave you beyond butterflies, giant, ginormous butterflies? Yeah. I remember I was in um, Calgary and uh, I have a song that's called Beer in a Bible. And the song is really about, you know, where, where people find their truth. You know, some people find it in a bottle, some people find it in the, in, in the Bible. And, uh, you know, it talks about my life as, as a PK, a pastor's kid. And after the show, this young lady who was um, maybe 22, she had full arm tattoos, uh, jet black hair, really, really beautiful. And she was there with her boyfriend. She came up to me. She had tears in her eyes. She said, Dion, I'm a pastor's kid. And that song, Beer in a Bible, hit me so deeply in my heart. She's like, I left the church too. 
And she's like, I've been searching. She's like, I haven't changed, but you know, I just knew that I couldn't live in that environment anymore. And she's like, I didn't know that anyone else understood that. And she's like, I, I totally love the way that you sing that song. And I love the sentiment behind the song. And I am so appreciative of your voice and you ex expressing the way that I have felt for so many years. And we both had this moment where we just started crying and we were, I know it really, I'm even getting like teary just thinking about it because it was just such, I realized that when I go out there to sing, that there are people actually listening and that I am making a difference and that it matters. And it's such a powerful, powerful thing as an artist to know that you have that power and that you can share it with somebody else. Sorry, I'm getting teary. Also crying, fully also crying. <laughs> Sorry. Dear podcast listener who cannot see us, we are literally both like dabbing our eyes. Dabbing eyes. Ugh, sorry, I didn't mean to cry. There. Please do not be sorry. That's no, because you're actually bringing your authenticity, right? Yeah. Which is what you, that's the courage to bring your real self. So powerful. Yeah. And the other, the other thing that's very powerful about that is that you were just identifying before that, that when you first understood the power of your singing voice, that you knew that you had to share it with the world. But this is yeah. a moment where it's a marriage between the performer and the writer, yeah. the past and the present. Oh, now I'm going to cry again. All coming together Me too. in a feedback loop where you're wide open and someone else is like, now I have the courage to be wide open. Yeah. And it's like, like right. beams of light. Well, I mean, we are spiritual beings, right? In having a human experience. So, you know, when you can connect with someone on a spiritual level like that, like this in real time, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. And those moments should happen more often, but they don't. So whenever they do happen, I'm, I'm so grateful to the universe for those moments because it really is just mind-blowing. And I feel bad. I feel bad for people who haven't had those moments because if they exist <laughs> like this moment right now, <laughs> right. What advice would you give to people who have yet to experience a moment like this? I would say, um, have the courage to be open, like wide open and being open means embracing all aspects of yourself, even the dark and scary stuff, even the stuff that you're embarrassed about or the stuff that you're ashamed of embrace all of it because I guarantee there are other people out there in the world who feel exactly and who have been through exactly the same thing that you've been through or maybe very similar and they can connect with you. Have you done any motivational speaking? <laughs> Only to my puppy. <laughs> you should get that. it. You can do it. Get that ball. Get that ball, Bootsy. <laughs> and that get is Dion's advice to you you can do it you get that ball you get that ball oh i love it so is your dog's name really bootsy yes her name is bootsy kamala well come on of course yes. bootsy kamala <laughs> what kind of dog is she she is a shih tzu uh a bichon frise mix yes so all of 11 pounds <laughs> i volunteer to dog sit for you at any point in the future you will love her she loves everyone all she wants to do is play and give you like lick your toes 
and give you lots of kisses. She's just lovely. Let's, so I'm, we're almost at the end and, oh. and the, I know it's been an amazing interview. This has been like yes, really a great. really heart opening one. Um, and I was really looking forward to speaking with you today and uh, my dreams came true. <laughs> this conversation was as good as I hoped that it would be. Oh, you're so sweet. But I want to know, I, we have a little section called fun questions to end with. And I want to, I want to ask you one quick fun question. Okay. Do you have a non-musically related hidden hobby talent gift? I'm a baker. Okay. 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 I like it. What's, what's your like top recipe? Um, apple pies from scratch. Like I, I make the dough yeah. and the crust. Okay. Lard make- crust or butter crust or combo crust? Butter. Butter crust. Butter, baby. butter, 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 butter. Lots of butter. And pumpkin pie. I make a mean pumpkin pie from scratch. Is there a secret ingredient? Yes. And I'm not going to tell you because it's a secret. <gasps> I mean, you kind of walked into that. I, I said secret. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what's happening to my questioning. I'm losing my touch. Dion. <laughs> Is there a secret ingredient? Yes. To be continued and to be discovered. The <laughs> secret ingredient is. Thank you so much for your time today, Dion. I have loved this interview and loved getting to know you. I've always been curious as to why all of us PKs find each other, how we find each other. Isn't like that crazy? Freaking homing beacon. Yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 it's very strange, but... Uh, yeah, I, I I love that we find each other and that we can connect and and that we it, it almost feels like a secret club, you know, the PK club. Well, it is, and and there is there's some kind of like it's back to this transmission thing. There's some kind of magnetic compass point transition, some uh, transmission, something or other that yeah, we've got a shorthand of some kind. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Soprano or alto. Both, of course. My mom, my mom led the choir. That's how she met my dad. She w- she came from Ireland to Northern Manitoba, yeah. and became the choir director in my dad's Catholic church. That's wow. how I met and fell in love. Yep. She Sweet. never, never let me sing the lead. Always the alto, never the bride. That was me. That was me. That oh. was me. in all the choirs. I was a soprano, but I always got the alto because I could read music. Yes. And I was so mad with my mom. So, I know. And I never got to sing lead. I all believe it or not. I never, ever got to sing lead. I was always either playing the organ or I was in the choir. Never got to sing lead. I yeah. believe it. And you know what that does? That's like you take someone with that amount of voice and that amount of fire and that and you you wind up their jack-in-the-box and you hold your hand on the lid. You hold your hand on it for their whole childhood. And then guess what happens? Whole box explodes. Boom! You're out there because you have this force that must be reckoned with. Where did you get that voice from? I'm like, I've always had it. You just never let me sing lead. Right. Oh, come all ye faithful. Joyful and dry. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. Um, high fives to you. Thank you so much. It was so fun. I really, really enjoyed this interview. We are going to like hop, skip and jump to the next chapter of this the next time we see each other in person. Which That sounds great. I can't wait to give you a big hug. Also, likewise. I'm saving, right. saving one for you. Awesome. 
listening to the ARC podcast. If you'd like to know more about today's guest, please take a look at our show notes. Our producer and engineer is Tim Frazier of Murdoch Entertainment. Our host is Tressa Levasseur. Thanks to the Canada Council for the Arts for making this podcast possible. And thanks to you for tuning in. How do you know this is the end? And you can't even look me in the eye After all we've been through together How can we just say goodbye? Darling, I'm only human Flesh and blood not, not made of stone It was just a moment in time The devil made me do it
crucify me, leave me alone. Give me one more shot for the road, my dear. Another chance and love. We got nothing to lose, and I'm feeling lucky. One more shot. I'm gone Remember that old scene That it's always, always dark as before the dawn There's a light in your eyes And the spirit's telling me The lady luck is about to And I 